No escaping this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Desolation Radio, Dan and Nick. How are you doing? I'm uh, good. How are you? On episode 20. Can you believe we've made it this far? Episode 20. We yeah. should add in some sort of celebratory sound effect later. Uh, I yeah. Don't, I don't know what, though. Probably just a hit. Like, maybe I, I might bring it back to how we first ended the episodes with an Alex Jones uh, quote. <laughs> yeah. Just so it's like a uh, yeah, full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Gay frogs! <laughs> <laughs> start me off now, because I'll be with you all day. Like, um... <laughs> Right, so this episode we're going to return to Brexit because we already did one episode on it. You know why it happened and so on. We we thought we put it to bed. You know we thought we'd solved it. We sort of solved it. Article fifty got triggered yesterday, so it is officially happening. Yes, it's, it's the 29th recording on a Thursday. Yeah, it's happening. Um, we're joined today by our good friend and comrade Dan. Dan's a writer and well, has written some really great stuff, not just on Brexit but on Trump. You know the state of the British media and so on. He's also very very good at Twitter, where he's better known as Immolations. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and thank you for introducing me to Alex Jones <laughs> and for entertaining me with weird things about Metal Gear Solid and Japanese pop music. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a mishmash I've got going on. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't pin down his personal, <laughs> pin down his personal brand at all. Um, right, some of the things you've written about, you've, ri- you, you've got your, some of your, your medium posts on Brexit and you've written about like, the, the white working class. Do you think that we've... I mean, well, it might be interesting, actually. Um, Nick Clegg did a, a thing on, obviously, who else would you pick? Well, that's a person. To, to do a study of Ebervale uh, and why he voted Brexit than, than Nick, Nick Clegg, Clegg, the leader Bright of the... Nick Clegg, Paul Bright, wasn't he? What you saying earlier, though, Nick Clegg isn't... You know, he is a nice, affable dude, isn't he? He's, a ha- he's got a handsome... I would want to look like that when I was like <laughs> mid to late 40s. And he's got that classic upper-class bouffant hair. I mean, in many ways, I'm jealous of his physical appearance. Not gonna lie. Although he's, he's got a bit soft... Soft face, rather than I am more, rug, <laughs> more rugged, 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 I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lumberjack shirts and yeah, exactly. Accent but you know, so he did. Um, so Newsnight hired Nick Clegg, obviously, to go and look around Evervale. Go and pack the sandwiches and set them off as well. Even though you know, I said it was going to happen. I wrote articles on just clearly so bitter about it. Like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, Rod, but Roger Scully said it was going to happen. I remember there was just an article before we sort of Brexit happened, and people were like, dear, you know, Professor Scully, what's going to happen? in South Wales and he was like you will see South Wales being some of the strongly Brexit voting places in the whole of the UK then it happened oh my god it's happened but like you know people that live here and people that work in research on Wales knew it was going to happen ages and ages, yeah, ages, yeah. And ages ago you said it was going to happen like you people know it's going to people knew it was going to happen but so he's doing these Vox Pops and it wasn't honestly I, it wasn't that bad this show it wasn't I mean because I think that some of the coverage of the valleys has been well it's been it if it wasn't about Brexit, it was about benefits before. Like it's become it's got ca- a Channel Four team into it. Uh, yeah, they've got an embedded Channel Five and Channel Four sort of poverty sort of correspondent, and then like fast reaction team. <laughs> yeah, but, to, like, get but, a series up quickly. But I mean, people, you know, people could rightly feel like sort of natives, and that the journalists are like sort of colonial anthropologists going around measuring their heads and seeing like what's yeah, wrong yeah. with these people. But the show wasn't that bad. But I mean, you've you've sort of argued that they still just don't get it. Like, 
Yeah, um, I think like the, like the problem is like they're sending people like Clegg and like a lot of journalists and sort of pe- people mostly based in London, and they send them to these towns for a day to kind of you know don't do a vox pop whatever, get this stuff on video, um, get some opinions. But like you know this even a, I've been trying to like pick apart why this happened for over a year and having discussions up to the referendum afterwards, and even now when it's been triggered, and like I I still can't give you a a solid answer of like why it happened because you get this weird mishmash I think of almost like 30 years worth of politics of like being abandoned being like that target of benefits culture and all this other stuff so um, it's I, I think it's a, it's a it's a problem because like you have to interrogate that a bit further so like one of the things up to the referendum up to the referendum I was I was trying to like do that classic thing of oh if you find the reactionary opinion in your community kind of you know pick it apart and kind of tell them the myths behind it mm. and what I kept hearing like every single time you'd go through like break apart some myths about immigration about some other stuff and you would just hear this line at the end of like yeah you're right but things can't go on the way they are and like they would talk about things which are you know they're right but like, they've seen their children go through the same thing they've gone through sometimes their grandchildren they've seen the same promises broken and broken and like that's not something you're gonna get. That's not something you can pick apart just by going there for a day and I don't know doing a photo essay or something like that. Getting John Harris to like poke around <laughs> like the corners of Britain. Yeah, totally. It's not. It's nonsense. But it's a it's a cosmetic understanding, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. And for all the strengths of that little news night thing, you know, and it was decent. Like it, it it wasn't bad at all. It wasn't it wasn't the worst I've seen. But as you said, it it's so it's such a deep deep-rooted issue which is in a way the build-up of as you said at least 30 years of yeah, yeah. political neglect sort of also it's rooted in the political culture of the place it's rooted in the political ideology of the labor movement and to try to understand that with I don't know send it's, I mean, it's not there's nothing inherently wrong with sending someone who's not from an area to to look at a place that really I just don't understand why they couldn't ask well, there are plenty of people who can who are from the area. You're from Merthyr. Yeah. I'm from you know from Porthcawl. It's not you know it's not uh, the valleys, but you know it's kind of valleys on sea in a way. Like um, <laughs> and you're from Bridgend. But I mean, I just don't understand why they why they still keep sending people down. And it's almost like they want to put the issue to bed. Yeah, and I think as well, like one of the things I'm noticing more and more uh, from from speaking to people from other towns, like even in the valleys, is like. Almost every one of those towns has a slightly different story, yeah. and they have like a slightly different sort of mishmash of things that have led to them being Brexit. So I was speaking to somebody from uh, Port Albert the other night, and he was saying like, like all the kind of ex um, steelworkers he was speaking to, they were all kind of anti EU, but it was this this kind of like attitude towards things like state aid of like yeah. that's hampered our ability to do things and mixing in the. Um, you know, the, the, the tariffs of China somehow, which doesn't really fit that well with it. But, <laughs> but like, you just get this, like, it is almost illogical, but, like, you, you have to go to those areas and be there for quite a while to really pick it apart and interrogate it well. And it's, like, I think what, what happens is if you, if you go to these towns and you do this kind of work, you inevitably find what's similar between them. And that's obviously going to be things like immigration, maybe a little bit about welfare and benefits and anger at the government, when there's actually all these other issues going on which are really do need to be tackled. I think that's really important, actually. The, I mean, firstly, I mean, people talk about the valleys in Wales if there's just one. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it's, <laughs> the clue's in the title, isn't it? The valleys, <laughs> yeah, the valleys. 
the role, you know. Yeah. I mean, um, but you're right. I mean, there are significant. Well, that's one of the most interesting things I thought about the stuff you've written is that there are there's nuances in there. There's significant differences, and there are. I mean, I've spoken to people who have had what I would say, you know, rational, self-interested, smart reasons for leaving the EU um, because of the, their business, because of the industry they work in and so on and so forth. So you're right, looking for the similarities all the time is something that's, well, I mean, it, 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 obviously we, we speak in generalities, don't we, as people are trying to analyse this sort of stuff. But I mean, it's just as interesting to look at the, I mean, for example, you know, the British Labour movement, uh, you know, up to the seventies and eighties, and you know, apparently Corbyn Macdonald was very anti-EU from a left perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the main flyway uh, <laughs> for joining it originally, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, this idea of a left-wing Brexit has been sort of slated, but I'm, I mean, almost certain that there are there's an element, especially within South Wales, with its Labour culture, that will be anti-EU for that historical yeah, yeah. historical reason, like. It's naive to expect these blokes rooted in the labour movement to have been just made this paradigm shift in the last twenty years to this sort of cosmopolitan. Because, as you said, I mean, the the EU was. I mean, what what's killed me about the whole thing? Well, firstly, is that the the, the way that people from these areas have been sort of treated in a by not not just pe- not just people in the, the British media, but people from Cardiff, people from, you know, where I'm from who have left, you know, basically upwardly mobile, socially mobile, you know, middle class people who just like, oh my God, these yeah. morons, blah, blah, you know. Um, the number of times I've heard people say like, oh, that's the final nail in the coffin of that town and I'm, I'm done with it. It's like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that I mean, because all it, all it does, it shows how people living next door to each other and how class just gives you a completely different <laughs> ideological and material trajectory, doesn't it? Some people yeah, stay yeah, in totally. place and get um, sort of pigeonholed as racist, illiterate morons that, um, and other people are obviously, people, people move to London and Cardiff because they have to, because there aren't any, um, if you're a graduate, a lot of the time, but not everyone. I mean, these, these towns, the valleys are big enough to have, you know, the, the large valleys towns have graduates moving back, people people live there you know, and, and, mm. and there's, and there's a lot of people who voted remain in these in these places as well. So, the, the treatment of people from these areas as as being sort of racist morons is something that just continues to grate. Like it's just there's like and there's there's obviously an element of the there's obviously an element of some people are just yeah. are just bigots. But like it's like the immigration point. It's like you can't just tackle it by saying. You can't just tackle that by like giving them some facts and saying, "Oh well, they're, they're also being exploited." Because a lot of the time they are seeing like something visible happen, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to say like they need to crack down on immigration, but like, you need different argument almost. Because if you do just say, "Well, those people who are you know, um, I don't know, working in a hospital or something with you are are also being exploited," they don't listen. Because at the end of the day, it's like their children and grandchildren are maybe unemployed, maybe in low pay, and that's where their frustration is going. And it's not right, and I, I don't think they're legitimate concerns, but their frustration of like their children and grandchildren or themselves being in very poor jobs, not being well paid, is certainly real. Like that doesn't come through at all. Yeah, there's um, the classic reading of fascism is just essentially is deflected rage, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's it's this deep pit of frustration and despair, which I would argue in Wales is 
uniquely sort of potent because of all the things that have happened. You know, the fact you've got mass unemployment, um, a political culture where your vote literally doesn't matter because <laughs> whatever happens, you know, on an assembly level or local level, for example, Labour ain't going to get in. And whatever happens in Wales on a country level, we're going to be overruled by English votes anyway. So, I mean, ha- that all these things contribute to this. Is, isn't Wales some like uh, makes up five percent of the vote in total of the rest of the UK? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I mean, it just contributes to this massive sense of malaise. And as you said, that's so deep rooted. The way that's channeled and articulated is what people are focusing on. They're not focusing on the depth of yeah despair itself. Like I, I think it's it's not just Wales. I think it's the same situation. In a number of places, and I think you saw the same thing with like like Trump and the, the Rust Belt. Yeah. Of like you you have if you keep going to if if you've got a problem and you go to the doctors and the doctor keeps telling you uh, there's nothing wrong with you it's all fine don't worry about it but the problem still keeps happening like you're gonna be, end up being very angry at that almost and if someone does give you at least diagnoses the problem but the act what they're saying is the cause and treatment is terrible yeah. you'll probably go along with it because. You haven't got you haven't got anything else, and the, I think the issue is that like some of these quite far right and quite dangerous people are at least diagnosing some of the problems, and like to, when they then say about like immigration and other things and Muslims being the issue, obviously they go way off, but they're tackling that that poverty and like lack of representation. Because I guess with like um, you know the racism angle is is something more tangible for people to see. You can't really make. An argument of saying like, listen, there's socio-economic reasons why you're in this situation. You know, it's too abstract. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's like you know explaining the nature of the industrialization and capitalism and things like that, and the fact that Wales is a lumpen region. It's very easy, isn't it? To it's an easy target. I mean, it's an easy target to, to to blame immigrants. It's just one of those things. Yeah. It's an easy. It's a very simple, easy message to cling on to. Like yeah, and you've had what two decades of like the Daily Express having the exact same headline and everyone telling them no you should blame immigrants you should blame immigrants so like you can't just tackle it by saying oh here's a, here's the actual case because ultimately it's been so ingrained that you, I, I don't know how you tackle it to be honest it's funny because there's a there's a there's a whole cohort of people and commentators that um, they kick off about the Daily Mail and like laugh at the Daily Mail comments you know and like how the you know, all these the, the British tabloid press is like borderline fascist and racist and at the same time they're like mega surprised that people who actually <laughs> read these things like express these opinions about immigrants like the, the two are linked you know like um, and in that in that <laughs> link, it just was a big parody paper for everyone to laugh at yeah like you know, it's, it's almost like aha that's outrageous but then it's like well the inability to realise that people do actually internalise these views and that's what you've seen in Brexit as these papers have used that anger and channeled mm. it very well but in the Nick Clegg Newsnight thing, there was um, they, he went to like the sixth form college in Evervale, and there was this this goth sort of gamer looking like sixth form dude who was like didn't sound like he was from there, but he had this really calm manner. <gasps> Do you think they planted him in? And he's just like, like no, no, I'm trying to think what he reminds me of, but he was like, um, what we see in Evervale is, uh, but like he said, he said that people here, their fears have been played on by the press. I mean, you got this 15, 16 year old. Lads with a with a more nuanced understanding of you know a sensitive understanding. Well, actually, people, these people aren't frothing at the mouth racist. They've just been manipulated by the press, essentially. Um, yeah, he's got a better understanding than all these sort of PP uh, Oxbridge educated uh, journalists. And we should maybe 
tried to get him on the show. Alexi's already a listener. I was just thinking narcissistically, maybe. Gothic, uh, gamer-looking dudes. Uh, Any Twitter handles following us? Don't want to show that. <laughs> I, I guess, though. I guess, I guess my fear is that ultimately, like, the, those papers and these, these people on the right, they're not giving up. They realise this is almost just the start of whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. And on the other hand, you just have, like, this... Remainer, proud Remainer camp, who is just like, oh, these people are like, you know, they they they, uh, they were they fell for a bus or something, as if like they just goldfish, you just saw some light and followed it, like, and and then even when like Article Fifty was triggered, they were all just like, oh well, I'm just going to drink gin and fly the European flag tonight. It's like this isn't politics, this is nonsense. And yeah. it, like you should be trying to tackle these issues and understand why this has happened. But meanwhile, they were like, I don't know, they'd probably lambast. Uh, anybody for trying to talk about these issues I guess and just because they're ultimately not maybe as pro-EU as them or it's this crazy crazy blind faith in sort of insipid liberalism as like the the tonic to everything the cure-all it's it's failing everywhere but that's the thing it's been collapsing across the west the western world yeah I mean because you know this obviously is populism isn't solely in the UK you've got Germany France Spain all Holland, yeah America yeah exactly and then apart from America all EU countries you know it's not like you're saying this the EU is this benevolent state that's providing for everyone it's just like a few thick people in the UK decided to leave it for no reason yeah but they won't I mean as you said there's not <laughs> there's almost like a head in the sand complete I mean the world their world is collapsing you know this 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 sort of centrist liberal sort of faux cosmopolitan understanding of the world which is absolutely collapsing and imploding and what's mad as you said is this weird tactical refusal to engage (laughs) with reality of what's going on like and just as you said just oh just either berate people for who who voted leave for example or just think that well, I don't know, they haven't got a strategy to cure, or maybe blame Corbyn, that's one of the other things they sort of, <laughs> they have a go at. Um, yeah. But as you said, the right are in it for the long haul, and they know they've got the, the left on the ropes, and all the centre and the liberals can do is sort of, well, they don't they, they haven't got a strategy, they haven't got a tactic, and as you said, they certainly aren't engaging with people. I, I think one of, the, one of the things I noticed during the referendum as well was, like this is a it was a referendum obviously about the European Union about membership of it but the 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 free trade element was never questioned at all it was all about what is the best we can do for the city of London what is the best we can do for exporting services when there's probably quite a bit of skepticism around that and especially from like that that old labor left in a lot of the regions but if you contrast it with um, what happened in the American election where like Trump was coming out as anti-NAFTA, Sanders was coming out saying his issues with NAFTA, even Clinton used to laugh it off and just say like, oh, uh, I remember we used to laugh at Ross Perot or whatever. She had to try and at least pretend to be ambivalent about it. And like, that didn't feature here at all. Nobody questioned that kind of attitude. And even now it's like, oh, we have to protect the single market at all costs. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. And as you said, it doesn't play very well. Um, the other, yeah, the, the, the start thing for me was Clinton, Saying that she was going to make all those coal miners redundant in Virginia, West Virginia, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then her campaign absolutely amazed that they, <laughs> lost, that they lost West Virginia. They didn't even campaign there, did they? No. no but, let alone did they like kind of insult perhaps a lot of 
indigenous West Virginians. They were just like, should we, could we campaign there? No, no, let's not bother. But as you said, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a celebration of the EU as this massive, I mean, as Nathan, you said in previous episodes, a huge capitalist, you know, super state. That's, that's what the EU is with them. Um, and as you said, you've got thousands and thousands of people of colour died in the Mediterranean over yeah on its, on its hallowed borders it doesn't exist you know for the middle class to have nice holidays and like a cheap exchange rate it exists for the flow of capital same with you know um, the flow of immigrants flow of labour is simply so it can be competitive on a global market not that it's this big utopian idea where everyone can yeah. you know share their culture and I, th- I think I think what the origins of it as well and I think it was one of the arguments um uh, Yanis uh, said about like at least in like most countries you see some sort of class conflict some you know the, the ruling um, the the landed class against the king and then the working class against them and that produces the parliament which is a little bit of a romanticized version but yeah. there's an element of truth to it of yeah. these these places exist to kind of um, resolve differences yeah. whereas the, the European Union is like it's it's born out of economic cartels it's yeah. never had to negotiate those differences it's never had to really negotiate how do you tackle the differences between Germany and Greece until now and I think the problem is that like a lot of people mis- mistook what the European Union's origins were some sort of international solidarity <laughs> which yeah. is not and it's obviously an element of some people there were thinking this is a really good peace project and I think I think there's probably quite a lot of merit to that argument. If there's something worth saving, there it is. It is the idea, but this does Born out of at least. World War II, wasn't it? Yeah, aftermath. Yeah, there, there is a, there's an element of truth to that, but you know you can't ignore that it is born out of economic cartels. But. Yeah, and um, there's this, as you said, that one of the, my favorite. Well, it's like the European is this big peace uh, project rather than something that was stabilised through the Marshall Plan, you know, an American capital. That's mm. what that's what it was. Oh yeah, so so you can have so America could have a, a big trading partner after the war. Yeah, but no, apparently it was a big like ideological agreement where like you know like, this can never happen. Again. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, in, in some say the unintended consequences of that has been you know, peace for what, but all, you know, that's yeah, also yeah. that's also got a lot to do with NATO, you know, the collapse of Soviet Union and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But if we go back to um, Oh, actually, we're not going to go back to Clegg. I'm going to talk about this. Um, Nobody wants to go back to Clegg. <laughs> well, you know, again, handsome man, I'll give him that. Like, um, there is quite a movement to uh, look back at the coalition as very good and, and, the, and, and the role yeah. he played. So, uh, it gets just so, <laughs> so, so that, bad. Like, that they that's look, all I'll give him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some things get so bad that it's just look back nostalgia, like with George Bush. W. Bush yeah. now. Yeah. Just imagine in an alternate universe, there's Miliband and Clegg both in coalition at the moment, and everything is. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, the sort of determined, the the, the, the sheer determination of, of liberals and li- liberal sort of pundits to not address, as you said, the the fear and the the cons- not the cons- I'm not going to use the word concern because it's that conjures up images about you know migration is that mm. the well the anger that people have in these areas and what what I thought was interesting we had a chat with. Aditya chatbot, didn't we? And I think Aditya is probably the one of the exceptions to the rule when it comes to you know people that work at the Guardian. Yeah, but no, but you know, but he has he clearly has profound as you know he's from you know a part of London which has you know parallels with South Wales, and he just demonstrates a profound understanding for what is going on there, unlike a lot of people. But what he said, and it was something that I think is true. I mean, you're you're from there, Dan. There's this 
doing Brexit, this thing came out, didn't it? And it was um, people that are left behind and people that are angry. But like, I don't think, I mean, yes, Brexit was about anger, but anyone that's from sort of South Wales, I don't think that anger sort of sums it up. I think there's this weird, there was an article written in the BBC website, um, 2013, and it was called, I think, The Unbearable Sadness of the Welsh Valley. So this has nothing to do with Brexit at the time, but it was just about, it's a psychological effect of deindustrialization, which haven't really been talked about. Because if it was put in, people would read this article and about, um, so what they say in this article, they say about, um, there are fewer than 60,000 adults in Blaenau Gwent and each month almost 10,000 10, prescriptions are issued for antidepressants. You know, they say it's a statistic so shocking it's hard to comprehend. Um, the suicide rate in Wales increased by 30% between 2009 and 2011. Um, and it says, you know, the further you go up the valley, the poor and more isolated people become. Um, and how they talk about how poverty is endemic and one nearby school keeps boxes of shoes for children who arrive without anything suitable on their feet. And the thing is, I think if you've grown up here in South Wales and you've seen things like this, it's just not a shock to you. It's, it's almost taken for granted. Like, you know, I grew up in a place, it was suicide was completely a normal thing yeah, to yeah. happen. You know, it's a, a normalised response. It's not, an, and it was only when I went to uni that I realised, well, actually not everyone else has had to go to their friends' funerals before, you know, going through school because it's not something that happens in other parts of the world. But in this article in 2013, people would read it and be, and look at the, the symptoms of, of sort of the deindustrialization, which is depression, and that's what born a jobless and things like that, and the sheer despair. And people will be sympathetic, I think, and people will go, oh, well, this is terrible, how do we solve that? But once the political consequence happens, which is a, which which is which was Brexit, mm. all of a sudden these same people are scumbags and they're yeah, inbred yeah. idiots, you know? And it's, it, there is that element of people saying, well, you know, they deserve it for what they've done. And yeah. it's like, like if you if you're talking about the valleys and I, like I remember grow, like growing up and we didn't like there was one swimming pool from like the fifties or sixties that was falling apart. There was a cinema that was open and then closed, open and closed. There was nothing to do. There was nothing at all. And I think it's only the last few years that things have visibly started to change a little. And there's probably consequences that are good and bad. But like for for a long time, there was there was nothing at all. Nothing like you, you could see why some people would end up drinking when they're 14, 15 quite heavily or you know maybe doing worse things than that. Yeah, it's the kind of curse of post industrial towns, isn't it? Like we said in last week's episode with Martin, like and how it, that, um, these heavy industry jobs were kind of tied with manliness and your stand in the community. And when you completely take that away, then what's left, you know, crisis of masculinity, you know, just deprived areas it just becomes the norm right what do you think of this there's um, a new analysis which is going to be like you know the bible um, about you know Brexit and it was about any, it's, you know, anywheres versus somewheres this is how we sort of characterised the, <laughs> the sort of split in the country and I, I, I think it's not as the best thing I've heard on Brexit is Brexit Blues by John, Lance, John Lanchester in the London Review of Books so if you get a chance you should read that but so he basically he talks about the you know, Remainers and and uh, you know, Brexit voters as so he, anyways so this is these so the, these are the new tribes anyways constitute roughly twenty to twenty five percent of the population and the somewheres constitute about half and the rest of the people are sort of somewhere in between so 
he says those who see the world from anywhere are he points out the ones who dominate our culture and society i.e. the people who write for New Statesman and The Guardian and The Telegraph things like that people they do well at school they move to residential university and then on to professional career often in London or abroad he says such people have portable achieved identities he says based on educational career success which makes them comfortable and confident with new places and people I can see you both like cracking up already <laughs> yeah. the rebels it's so true it's are those thing. more rooted in geographical identity this is the best the Scottish farmer the working class Geordie, the Cornish housewife, who find the rapid changes of the modern world unsettling. They're likely to be older and less well-educated. They've lost economically with the decline of well-paid jobs for people without qualifications, and culturally they've lost out too, with the disappearance of a distinct working class culture and the marginalisation of their views in the public conversation. So, what do you make of that? Oh, spot on, to be honest. <laughs> I, I definitely felt, you know, as, as someone who's lived in Bridgend all my life, and is going to stay there, no doubt. That I definitely related with the nowhere people. Well, yeah. I just like you know, you see me with, like around computers and traffic lights. <laughs> this is what um, and um, this analysis is one of the things that they've used to hammer the Labour Party with because they've said the Labour Party is between a rock and a hard place because the Labour Party draws its votes both from these somewhere people, you know, these you know, sort of basically backwards uneducated people or whatever they how they portray them, and these cosmopolitan sort of middle class that generally seem to make up the centre ground of the, the Labour Party so how do you appeal to both of them? And the front bench as well. And you know and, and the, the sort of the, the fault lines are immigration and things like that but what we were talking about earlier doing our technical hitch was you know <laughs> firstly some of the characterizations in you I mean like alright it's not hard to I mean that that's a basic analysis isn't it yeah we know that people have been le- you know, left behind in the press and, and the, their voices aren't represented but Firstly, I mean, we vote, we vote, I mean, I, we're, we're educated people, we live in small towns in Wales, you know, we, not everyone moves to London, these places have yeah, yeah. enough plurality in them, you know, there are graduates, <laughs> we're not all people that are confused, you know, we're, you know, we're not confused by the internet and mobile phones and progress and things like that. Totally. I know, it's just, it's just <laughs> I, 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 by electricity. I, it's just this slippery slope to characterising people as being... I think this is one of the most interesting things but like it's, it's a very bad thing that's come out of well everything that happened last year is you get more and more people just patting themselves on the back saying God. we're educated we're we're, yeah. we're we're the most cultured here and we got our, our eyes open to the world but these are the people who are running campaigns and running things which are just constantly not connecting with anyone totally failing and then all they do is just entrench themselves even further and I, it's I I I just find it staggering to be honest. Yeah, and and and, and the best thing is this um, this characterization of people that like you know move, live in London things like that is like some sort of cosmopolitan liberal elite. And as you were saying, this this idea of their cosmopolitanism it really just extends to like in some foreign foods and and maybe speaking a foreign language. These are the type of people that would definitely move house if like a black family moved in next door to them. These are the people who are gentrifying and, and, and moving people out of. You know, moving working class people out of their neighbourhoods in London, people of colour, things like that, and then they've got you know this audacity that they are like, and, it, and it's sort of it started to focus a bit now around this London loving, you know, like mm, um, yeah. the great city in the world, and like oh Ian Dunn saying like oh can't London just like become its own city state? It is already a city state. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a mega, it's a bank city state. Yeah, 
it's it's a con- it's a consumer identity. At the end yeah, of it. it's, it's, it's not an ethical identity. It's not that kind of uh, cosmopolitanism. It's just something which they purchase and um, buy certain foods, listen to certain music, go and watch foreign film or something, and that makes them yeah. this yeah, well cultured person. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. if they actually have to engage with anyone <laughs> on a more um, intensive basis, I guess they, they they just can't. And yeah, it's like it's the uh, you know the the falafel sort of thing like, <laughs> just like pat themselves on the back as they shop you know uh, uh, <laughs> as they go to the sort of Arabian market in, near them in London but it, I mean I would it's I not there the next week because all, all their friends have moved do, into the area he doesn't mention the angry um, low middle class uh, graduates <laughs> who have to move back <laughs> to live with their parents like me um, so I mean that we are uh, the unspoken Sort of silent minority, I think you know. The what, what about as well? Where do where do where do all the people in the home counties who voted for Brexit who would probably think of themselves as quite cosmopolitan, but then when you you know you pick it apart a bit, often do come out with quite racist opinions. Yeah, but but I think that's one of the things you saw as well with, with Brexit was there's almost this like. Um, I don't like the term, but like this intellectual racism, which is it's oh, more, it's more yeah. about culture, and that's apparently okay. And this is like different to the the more vulgar racism you hear in in working class communities. And how I like, I think people often apologise for or or think that the, like this more upper class racism is just something fun and provocative. When yeah. it's, it's certainly it's, it's it's in the media more. It's it's more it's probably more dangerous. It's probably where a lot of this stuff stems from. It can be. The funny thing is, isn't it, is that um, all of it, there's, I mean, the people who class themselves as these cosmopolitan people from anywhere, these are still the same people that, you know, would, you know, support a Labour Party which has, puts controls on immigrations in a mug, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, they, I mean, so, mean to get that mug free, you just but can't but, find it anywhere. But, but there's still this, that's what I mean, it, it comes from the same sort of fountain, this latent sort of British imperialism, and which permeates, let's face it, every part of the UK it's just articulated in different ways you know it's almost you know as you said there's a different there's a subtlety and a nuance to someone working for you know Dan if you have like Dan Jarvis or something like that or some Labour centrist saying actually we need to have you know respect these legitimate concerns people have about immigration and and call for limits on immigration and things like that themselves and then you've got you know what's the difference between that really and then someone from South Wales or someone from a Brexit open area who says to a camera oh send all the immigrants back home and it, it's essentially yeah, yeah. the same essentially the same thing well it goes back to an argument I said about, yeah, like, I was about say, um, Milo and and yeah. they're like if if that was anybody else from from a working class community, you'd have a camera on them, oh, laughing at them, posting everywhere. Oh, look at this Daily Mail idiot who's obviously been, mis, mis, you know, doesn't even know what he's talking about. But because he's from a similar background to a lot of people in the media, it beca- he becomes something provocative and fun, and it's but you know very dangerous, more dangerous than someone who's I don't know unemployed in in the valleys and and. St- has a lot of misplaced frustration. That normalises that then, and not only that, is they're given a platform, he ends up with um, Bill Maher, you yeah. know, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's bewildering, isn't it? Your article, and Dan, you know, Dan wrote a brilliant article on you know, the fact that the, the British media clearly is this little click in it of a, a not an old yeah, boys yeah. club, but this sort of this sort of, this incestuous little group where everyone knows each other. And I said Milo has been, he was excused by certain liberal commentators. People sort of 
but if people don't know, Milo is this weird nerdy gimp like <laughs> who started. I I I I, don't know, I didn't really understand. Just what. some. Uh, he basically used to be a tech yeah. a tech journalist, and just like writing about gaming and things like that. And then I think doing the gamer. Yeah, he started then at that point live streaming video games for the first time and like obviously just trying to reach out to, the, to these people and, and yeah. become a political figure for them but, but like I said before it's weird like, um, if you ever follow Infowars or Alex Jones or people that ilk on Twitter the amount of um, people who agree with them you know underneath the little Twitter thread all of like these little Pokemon uh, pictures, <laughs> but like profile pictures and like anime, and but there's just really right wing. It's like, oh, that's, that's the audience. Same with PewDiePie, you, you know, PewDiePie yeah, yeah. just this, um, just this annoying dude who plays video games and makes noises over it. But you know, his fan base is really young, but uh, but ultimately, like, he's had a similar thing happen where he was, um, hit some controversy, but yeah. ult- ultimately, they, they're going to be afforded the luxury of. You know, having a comeback, and my, you know, if Milo wanted to, he could probably say, "I've made huge mistakes, and I, you know, pretend he wants to be left wing or something." I don't think he will, but if he wanted to, there would be people there in that crew who would entertain him and, and probably, get a, probably get a column, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd certainly yeah. get a column. But you know, in two years' time, something will happen. Milo will get a column. I've got a PhD. I will get. I I pitched the Guardian. Are you friends with Laurie Kenny? <laughs> I get like, hey guys, I live here. I live here. I predicted this. I wrote a PhD on it. Can I write an article on it? No, no response. Uh, and then you have another one, Raphael Bear, who said that shoes aren't shaped like feet. <laughs> and he's got a political column. Like, it's still the most mental thing I've ever read in my entire life. Um, that Marxist analysis. That's oh, unbelievable. I, I don't think I could put any fit. I, I don't think there's much I say on Twitter I could probably get published. And it's not, it's not because it's like dangerous or anything like that. I just think like it wouldn't fit with a newspaper. Exactly. The, the most frustrating thing with the whole thing has been seeing brilliant, brilliant articles and analysis on Medium by people like yourself and other writers like, um, who are, you know, it's just a fantastic, a fantastic analysis of what's gone on, the coverage, things like that. And I, okay, it has, it gets an audience on Twitter and you get people reading it on yeah, Medium. Yeah. But then you have, let's face it, morons with <laughs> political, you know, political columns getting paid to, I mean, I'm convinced that, I mean, we said this earlier, I would be far more reassured if people like Dan Hodges, John McTurnan, and George Eaton and things like that, if they didn't actually believe this, I mean, I hope that they don't believe the stuff that they're writing, I hope they're just doing it, um, because it'd be far more worrying if they are that stupid, because I don't really (laughs) understand how it, I don't understand how you could get to that position whilst having those, those views, it must just be about the political economy of getting clicks and... Do you think there's something about Twitter that, and almost like in, in the arms race now to, to carve out your niche to be a writer, it, I think it almost inevitably gives birth to people like Milo because they just, you have to be become a controversialist almost. Yeah, look at um, that Paul Joseph Watson guy who's a little, um, <laughs> yeah, let's think he's blown up the last few weeks, like nobody would really heard of this like obscure Yorkshireman before. But he like, releases a video every three days like, completely inaccurate about whatever, but you know. He just feeds off the controversy, and people are, you know, too happy to give him a, you know, give him a platform for it. Well, not give him a platform, but buy I mean, into I mean it. in many ways, they are. I mean, Milo is, you know, the antithesis, and in many ways, the ant- people like that who are idiots themselves, the antidote to these terrible liberal takes on 
this is this, this is yeah, this. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's this easy is, to see is, why they get This purchased. is one of the things I was saying about, um, you, you hear this line about like fake news and, uh, you know, all they do is propagate fake news and people uh, are taken in by the, you know, just how incredibly crazy it is, I guess. But a lot of the time, like those those videos are like on Infowars and elsewhere, and, and what a lot of a lot of I think this is actually where the right gets a lot of support. They're basically critiquing like the, the opinions of these like liberal columnists, and they, they they most of like Infowars is really boring. It's just him talking about news stories and and offering a commentary on them, and it's. It, Every now and then, though, you just, just rip off his shirt and scream <laughs> about the but, but, they, but, but they set themselves up for it. They set themselves up to be taken apart by these people. And, and, and that's what's, it's, it's, it's something that does worry me, I guess. But The McTurnan take, when it, I think it was, it was after Brexit and Trump, he said, people have said that the centrism of, of Blair is dead after Brexit and Trump. These people are wrong. It's, now, it's turbocharged it. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, Do you know the weirdest <laughs> thing about McTurnan? Is his profile picture on Twitter is that of the IWW? Yeah. It's like what? I thought you were going to say his physical appearance. <laughs> quite weird as well. Though. But um, <laughs> Red, I mean, off topic slightly. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his dude's Twitter handle, but there's a guy I follow who's brilliant. I'll, I'll tweet what he wrote later. He said that being on Twitter a lot, which is you know I spend a lot of time there, you spend a lot of time there, we all spend a lot of time on Twitter. Some of the things that people write, some of these things in these tops so of journalists or blue ticks write, is so mentally wrong and weird and just goes against all like you know David Cameron is a left is left wing David Cameron is a man of the people you know all these takes which are so bizarre and run counter <laughs> to any political economy or any normal thing and they're so widespread that it can just really mess with your mental health because you you read them and I'm like that can't you can't actually be like <laughs> or the fact that like um, I think it was George Eaton said something the other day and it was like Hey, wow! It's really easy to imagine Cameron and Blair being in the same party, and I'm like, what? Like, and people are like, yeah, man, like preach it, like just it, as if they've just discovered like you know the essence of New Labour and things like that. <laughs> and um, but as you said, it, it, it's an analysis which is so like so pathetically ill-informed, like and has such a refusal to to read, like to read political economy, to read maybe about like why society is changing, like why the tectonic plates of the economy are shifting and the sort of the the, the impacts of that ha- that has they said it becomes very easy to the right to say look they were wrong they were wrong they were morons about like you know, they thought Hillary would win and they did think Hillary would win yeah, yeah. and they did think Remain would win as well <laughs> and they also thought you know and they don't think this, they don't think the Scottish referendum is going to going to happen and I, it's just I, I think it's almost I, I don't like using the term, but like I think they are almost becoming like the liberal elites that the right always say they are. Like the, their response is turning them into that because they they just be, they're entrenching themselves and talking more and more in like these incre- like you said incredibly bizarre way of looking at politics, Odd. where the vast majority of people when they say there's nobody speaks for us, then they're right at the end of the day. And if if they do see someone like like Nigel Farage come out and maybe talk about immigration and sort of talk about how. The Westminster establishment. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna jump on that, and I, I I think it's a challenge for the. It's difficult because I think it's a it's a challenge for the left to really pick up that kind of anti-establishment line, and not in like a very tokenistic way, but to to actually. Well, you have to actually go to these areas first and find out what they're saying to actually understand it, not just kind of try and rebrand Corbyn or whatever. So. Yeah, you also need me as we were saying earlier as well. Um, when you have this gulf and when you have this anger and malaise that exists not just in South Wales but in 
you know, West Virginia, all over, you know, these industrial, former industrial parts mm. of Europe, you know, North of England. When there is this sort of Gulf or interregnum, whatever Gramsci calls it, there's, you know, there's lack of jobs. And when you've got a liberal sort of punditry and a Labour Party, for example, that offers such an insipid, awful image of the future, is basically like, so, so, you're in South Wales, a guy on the Clegg show said, Back in the day, they the were flag show. But he said, you know, they were, he said, you know, there are jobs never available. So Clegg said, oh, it's not as bad as it seems. You know, it doesn't seem that deprived. And the guy said, well, there are jobs, but they used to be good jobs with which people could cling on to, and there were apprenticeships, like real apprenticeships, and the local college was sort of thriving. And now, the image, the best image that the Welsh government can sell to these people is, we can attract. A foreign company to pitch up in this town, and you will have a a low paid manufacturing job for five to ten years before they then move out to India no. or whatever, and then they might come back. And and it's this weird watered down vision of the welfare state, isn't it? There's no because the left refuse to engage in the fact that these people are essentially economically obsolete, which is what Calvin said on the other show. There's no radical image. There's no radical. This is what we could be doing here, guys. This is we could revolutionise the economy. We can have a better society. There's no positive vision of the future. It's basically no, no. just it's managing decline and trying to dress it up and sell it as our. Oh, actually, we could you know we could bring a few jobs here and there. And when you don't have that inspirational left view from the left, the right of fascism offers order and a return to past glories and things like that. That's how it always yeah, yeah. rises. But as you said, the left don't have a platform because it's dominated by people who just keep trotting out this. Well, it was it was like a lot of those factories which were attracted. You, know, you always hear the criticism of, oh, all they do is, uh, you know, they make the TVs in China, bring them here and stick a sticker on them just to get past tariffs or something, which is probably an exaggeration. But this. I don't like using the term like dignity of work or whatever, but there's a difference between if you were doing something you were quite proud of and then just doing that. Absolutely. And and I, it, it goes back to like like one of the arguments you hear and again and again now from the Remain camp is, oh, these areas got loads of EU funding, all these jobs came because of EU funding. And for most people, a lot of that funding didn't help. You know, it's got them into low paid jobs, which are off, you know, they've been in and out of work. Um, they, they might not even want to be in for that long. and. It, you know, you, you, there's a lot of criticism of that EU structural funding about how it was deployed in Wales, and and especially in terms of like actually regenerating the areas. And the, as we said earlier on, on Twitter, the Welsh government have, have got off almost got free with the yeah. fact that they they were the ones that you know they've kind of like do they not know that we distributed it? All right, brilliant. <laughs> don't mention it. You know, the fact that you know nearly four billion has been spent in Wales. Lot well, some of it was invested wisely. You know, as you said, later on, yeah. In the but a lot of it was just completely squandered. Um, I mean, there are new, there are so many examples of of the Welsh government sort of culture of building white elephants. You know, just like oh, let's build a massive science park, or let's build a map, or, or whatever, like that mm. pavilion in Llandudno or, or Bala or whatever, which closed down after a few months. And as you said, it's being spent terribly. So it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't wash for people to say oh. This area, you know, has had loads of money spent. Yeah, in yeah. especially yeah, the smug Guardian articles where they get the people to uh, pose outside. Yeah, but it was it was spent on cosmetic things. It was spent on a lot of the time on town improvement, um, as in like cobbling a street or something like that. And it was distributed by 
Welsh government and local government. Yeah. So, you know, and it was spent badly. And some t- like I, one of the examples I've, I've always remembered is they, they did up some houses using, um, I don't know if it's EU money, money, but regeneration money. So one year they would do up the houses, get them all looking nice. The next year or year after, knock them down. And then a few years later, build something new there, all with the same pool of money. And it's like, they obviously didn't know what to do with it. And I think it was, who was responsible before the Welsh government? Like the Welsh office used to invest it, I think, or yeah, in the probably, 90s? Probably. Like, that was always going towards yeah, well, more, mm-hmm. more towards trying to stimulate business. Um, the Welsh government didn't really know what it was doing initially. But I, I at least think you started to see some visible changes in terms of, like, the Welsh government, you, you, there's a lot to criticise, but like like the um, vi- is it vibrant places or something? Is it is there a current regeneration thing for towns? And you at least see some some differences now in things which actually are kind of noticeable improvements. When before, like twenty years, you'd never see like, I think a town like Murphy change. In Swansea, they've painted a few houses. They could looks good, you know. <laughs> they could have I mean that. I mean, I think they should have just taken that four billion. You could have spent on infrastructure project. You could have. You could have maybe made. I mean, mm. I don't know how much four billion would get you in terms of road, but you could have maybe. I don't know if you could have done a north south motorway or done a north, re-electrified some some railways or things like that. Um, yeah. And those are the things that stimulate the economy, not as you said. Heritage projects are brilliant. They're fantastic to, but they, they don't necessarily. I mean, these don't address. The issues that people yeah. that, that motivated Brexit. I, I think it's something we said as well about how much how much frustration there is to about infrastructure and things like that. But there's there are, a lot of people think that like you can't do these infrastructure projects because of state aid rules and EU rules, like with the railways and stuff like that. You can't put them back into public ownership, and that's like an argument you will hear again and again. And it's one of the things that like people really do need to tackle, I think, and try and actually pick apart a bit more that. That it's it's I, I don't know it's just such a mishmash of different <laughs> different issues around that. You um you you wrote um you put a link up before about a Japanese writer. I know you're into sort of Japanese culture. I forget his name. And it was about the sensitivity of representing the subject yeah, you're writing yeah. about. What was that about? Um yeah, that's uh, the novelist. Um, I might be mispronouncing it, but it's Murakami. But I, I don't actually read his fiction, but I, I read his book. You to do an on, accent, um, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you yeah. write Norwegian words? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, yeah. What as in I'm, the Beatles song? Yeah, no way. And you just you know, no, it's a. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Who's the fifth Beatle? He yeah. left too early. Yeah. I'm surprisingly like not that well read on lit, uh, fiction anyway. But he, uh, they had the Tokyo gas attacks in 1995 or 1996, and I don't know if people know what it is, but they kind of just left sarin gas in a number of parts of the Tokyo underground. This ap- apocalyptic cult, basically. And he was living abroad at the time, and he went back to Japan and was saying, well, I want to write something about this, but I don't want to actually be a feature of this. I want to just bring out the um, stories of the victims and even the stories of some of the people who are in that cult. And, and um, I can't remember if he actually interviewed some of the people involved, but he, he was saying that like he wanted to avoid any kind of nationalist sentiment, um, any of his own narrative. And I... It's difficult to do that, but he kind of outlined a very outlined a very ethical way of doing it, and it comes back to I think that like you could, you can't imagine a British writer doing that about something which affected Britain like a terror attack in Britain or something. It would instantly be dressed up in like these very nationalist terms, um, 
and then writing narratives upon people rather than maybe listening to them. So you'd have an interview with someone, and probably most of the interview would be, most of the interview would just be discussing, you know, oh, we we met in this room and he looked awfully scared, and like that the the, the actual writer's perspective, not what the person yeah. is saying. I, I think that's something that's. I think it's. I think it's a like intrin- It's it, it's like an intrinsic problem with writing in in the UK. Well, yeah, I mean, um, we we were talking earlier about you know obviously that people that there's a certain type of commentator that can't grasp why people vote for Brexit and are still sort of shocked by it. And as you said, the the ignorance that they've displayed towards why Wales voted Leave or South well not all of Wales but why South Wales voted Leave was the same ignorance they displayed about Scotland 2014 with the referendum mm. is what they're displaying now within the crisis the constitutional crisis in Northern Ireland because they don't pay any attention to the constitutional crisis and problems in the UK they don't pay any attention to economic or structural problems it's just reducing politics to a West Wing style sub-celebrity sort of gossip <laughs> about you know um the power of personality and oh my god Corbyn said this and actually treating Prime Minister's questions for example as like great entertainment and they're well best place to comment on it because it's, it's kind of like they're all, it's basically glorified sketch writers parliamentary sketch writers but mm. that's the anal- that, that's become somehow the analysis of, of, of politics but we've broken up one union we can't break up another alright Dan thanks so much for coming on mate any um any shout outs or things we haven't discussed you'd like to uh, uh, no like to ju- ju- just to, just to say that um, you know if anybody does want to message me I'm on Twitter and stuff I try and reply but I do get a lot of nonsense as well which I can't reply to but by all means what DM, sort, what DM sort, me what sort of nonsense like oh uh, today apparently I'm a I'm ignorant because I uh, laugh at Alex Jones when his points are quite apparently well oh you got my yeah. tweet <laughs> <You're> <laughs> his, his, his points are um, well well established in the occult. I was going to, all right, so how would you, I mean, you introduced me to Alex Jones and I'm forever grateful for this. How would you characterise his trajectory post, you know, Trump? Uh, he's become very boring, I think, but yeah, so. he's, um, well, it's interesting because they've, I think they've built that whole movement that it's basically Roger Stone, who's like the ex-Nixon guy from the 70s, reached out to all these organisations and decided to link them all up and now, He's he is basically a mouthpiece of, of of Trump, I guess. Like he offers very mild criticism, but does he, he still sell his like um, brain juice and <laughs> the agent? Yeah, off. but it's funny because I remember I was, I was watching their coverage on election night just because I wanted to I wanted to watch that coverage. I had a few streams going, but I ended up on that. <laughs> and um, he was having callers coming in saying, "Ah, uh, you know, Mr. Stone, when you speak to Trump." bring up the chemtrails mm-hmm. bring up the chemtrails and Alex was like oh just cut it right there <laughs> like trying <laughs> try to shut it down but yeah the thing when he was on uh, Andrew Neal is still one of the greatest <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life ever it's just unbelievable when he cuts off and Andrew's just cracking up and he's just yelling <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in the background let's say liberty is rising like <laughs> absolutely sensational but yeah I, th- I think I got out of the uh, the Alex Jones business just at the right time so yeah, <laughs> peak, like, yeah. you took your stock out <laughs> Oh, shout out to me. Shout out to Lucy. I'm going to shout out yet. And she keeps getting on my case oh, about it. Terrible boyfriend. Pretty much. Um, I can't think of anyone else, to be honest. Uh, I will say now that due to a lack of not being bought out and we're 20 episodes in, 20 episodes deep. we have 
launched a Patreon. So I realize everyone is skint at the moment, but you know, just to cover costs of travel and like sometimes equipment, and we want to expand at some point, perhaps going to doing um, like little short videos that we can share. So if anyone's got some money they want to give us, that'd be really grateful. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, feel very awkward asking for it. Uh, yeah, we do. So we were holding out for ages about asking it ex- until um, we can't actually afford to. Yeah. Because you know Nate doesn't drive, no. so he has to keep getting the train up to Cardiff, and so we should have created maybe more of a sob story. We'll work on it when we. Um, we should, yeah. There, uh, are, there's people who have fu- who have a lot more than you who are asking for money on on the yeah. internet. So don't and worry about it. <laughs> uh, shout out to me. What you've done? I mean, yeah, no, I've set the precedent. Wonderful girlfriend Joe. Um, that's my landlady. Actually, she's been sound and moved out. Um, she's been cool. She's been a good landlord over the years. Um, so they're not all. They're not, she's the one good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Exception to the rule. And shout out to Graham as well. Love living with you, man. It's been the best two years of my life. So right. Um, yes, we are going to be asking for money. I think not very much, but just to keep going with this, basically. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, we yeah. won't be back for about another month now because we're going to take a little break. We're kind of trying to do like um, sections of 10 episodes and then take a break to live nice, our lives. Nice little hiatus. Like. Yeah, so I guess we'll see you guys in a month. But we'll probably still be on Twitter and Facebook and such. Yeah, take it easy. Bye. All right, bye. Bilderberg is heavily involved in the EU plan and helped hatch it, and it is a Nazi plan. They had Lockheed scandals, just like the big lobbying scandals right now in the 70s, and that's why the SS officer, Prince Bernhard, the founder, had to step down. It is the ultimate lobbying meeting. While you guys have this huge scandal going on, your prime minister's going there, Uh, uh, Balls was just here, Bilderberg group member, we have forced them from cover to admit that there are puppeteers above the major parties. David so now we know how, now we know that Bilderberg has given us the euro. Uh, yes, I mean, if you talk to Alex for any length of time, you discover all kinds of things that you didn't know about the world. We've blown it wide open. Um, you have. You have absolutely blown it wide open. But it leaves me with a huge question for you, Alex. And it's really, you have uncovered the new world order, which is deadly. It's full of what I you call people who are crim- criminals. Well, this is what I'm coming to. It's full of criminals, etc., who seek to run the world and will kill anybody who gets in their way. And you are almost, or have been, a lone crusader powering against them. No, that's so, not, how come? How, am I alive? How, how are you still alive? Why am I alive? Which is the, listen, yeah. listen, listen, which is the explanation? One, they don't exist. Or two, you're part of the conspiracy. No, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. I uh, say the first. Five years ago when Obama and Hillary... I say the second. Five years I ago when Hillary and Obama were at Bilderberg and the Secret Service was there in helicopters, the New York Times came out and said I was crazy. There was no Bilderberg group meeting. And my wife got phone calls, and so did I, threatening to kill us. And the people said, and you better take it serious because you were just talking to your dad that was in the hospital. You better shut your mouth or we're going to cut your head off. But now, if that, were, no. If that's they the, going to kill that, you, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't they listen to everybody's phone lines. They call up and harass people that expose them well, and it, tell them and tell so, them what so they were just talking about. They, the five they, they, they harass you're people. You're going to say there's no spying. Alex, I'm it's here. like Nazi Hold Germany. Hold we on. only spy on the bad guys, Hold huh? You let you let him speak now. Well, sure. Alex, Alex, I saw one of your ministers say this though. No, Alex, let I'm here. I am tyranny. No, shut up. I'm here to testify that your head was not cut off. Ladies well, and gentlemen, sure if they that? kill me, it turns me into a martyr. It, it, it puts big exclamation points on the end of what I've said, and I have put out a lot of information. There's millions of others that are exposing it. And the, look, we have mega banks 
that are getting $85 million a month of U.S. taxpayer money. Most of it goes to Europe and England. Uh, British taxpayers, EU taxpayers have to pay to these mega bankers. They're right. in there setting this up. It's come out. And then the media distracts you with, All oh, right. look at a guy that okay. talked to a lobbyist right. when the real lobbyist okay, is going on. Listen, you're not going to dominate this. He gets to speak to, it's not your own radio show. Uh, should we be worried about Builder Group at all? It's kind of, it's mildly interesting, the Bilderberg Group, and it feels, doesn't it, when you were talking about it in the, in the film, slightly kind of out of date as belonging yeah. to the era when the you Cold couldn't, War. yeah, when you couldn't even admit in Parliament that there was a, you know, when we called the head of MI5M or whatever it was we called them, we couldn't admit to these things. Yeah. And so to the extent that it seems people aren't ready to be spied on yet. Uh, uh, what was that a fact? People anyway. haven't been acclimated yet. Could you let him finish? We're in right. a police state, it's 1984. Yeah, listen, well, how you come, guys just how want to normalise it. Would you let him Alex, yeah. If we're in a police state, how yeah. come they actually turn back some of my reporters, but they didn't turn me back, and I was told this think, because they don't want to make a stink. Do you think the BBC is part of the Bilderberg Group? Well, uh, you know, Winston Smith did work here. I mean, come on, Eric Blair worked here, and that's what he said it was. Why do you think we've George let you Arwell. on? Why have we let you on then? Uh, because you guys think that you can manage the whole thing, and now our information's gotten too big. I have three million radio listeners a day. That's a low number. Three million. I get about 50 million YouTube uh, views a month. That's a very conservative number. I make films, put them online for free, that get watched 40 okay. million times, like the Obama deception. Right. And that's why, because the establishment All doesn't right. know what to do. Now, to speak now, to. now, Alex has this point, and it's, a, and it's an important one. I would have, say, 10 years ago said, Listen to all this stuff. He believes that people put cancer virus in vaccine in order in order to create a eugenics program. That's what he that's yeah. what he believes. We talk it's, about it's like medical that. discoveries. And, and, and we would have said, and we would and I would have said, hey, that's kind of mad and so on. And it's an interesting psychological phenomenon. Like dismiss the, like the, prob the problem is Horton the down, conspiracy theories like this oh, are believed. I believed in Hey, listen, I'm here to warn people. You keep telling me to shut up. This isn't a game. Okay, our government in the U.S. is building FEMA camps. We have an NDAA where they disappear people now. You have this arrest for public safety, life in prison. You are the worst person I've ever interviewed. No, no, it's basically off it. with their heads, disappear them, thank take you them for away. Infowars.com, Liberty You're watching the Liberty Sunday politics. We have an idiot freedom on the program will not today. Stop. You will not stop in just freedom. 20 minutes. You will not stop the republic. Humanity is awakening. Infowars.com. No. You guys are crazy. I'll be looking at the week the ahead with our political stupid. panel. You're Until crazy. then, the Think Sunday the politics across the You're UK. Crazy.